0: Hello, rhetorical listeners, and welcome in to the newest episode of The Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods, and this is Season 2, Episode 3. This episode is an Emerging Scholar Series episode, and in a bit, we're going to talk to Dr. Erin Kathleen Ball. But before we do, congratulations are in order. On January 10th, 2020, the Rhetoric of Health and Medicine Journal was presented the Best New Journal Award by the Council of Editors of Learned Journals. This was presented at MLA. RHM is the first writing or rhetoric journal to be given this award in the last 10 years. So please joining us, join us in celebrating with the editor, editors of that journal, Lisa Melodson, Jake Blaise Scott, and all the editors, assistant editors, associate editors, reviews editors, the entire editorial board. If you want to check that journal out, which it is fascinating, it is exceptional, it is deserved of this award, you can go check it out online at rhm And that's housed at the University of Florida. So we appreciate that work. Truly some groundbreaking work and method, methodologies. Read that chapter on Relations and Relationships by and. And Scott in the journal and it's it's truly great if you want to get a start in in rhetoric of health and medicine So we want to make sure we give them a shout out direct your attention to their magnificent work in the rhetoric of health and medicine C's ATTW taika. They're all coming up milwaukee About six weeks seven weeks. I'm excited. I'm gonna be there Have you booked your room? Are you air being Is that how you say, are you staying in an Airbnb? Are you staying in a hotel? If you're looking for a roommate, make sure to check out the NextGen Listserv Roommate Database for ATW and 4Cs. It's a Google spreadsheet. Uh, It's super simple and super helpful uh, they've got a sample conference attendee. I guess There named I'm a sample. They're so smart and It has categories like do you have a room reserved? Yes or no? How many roommates are you seeking type of lodging hotel? Airbnb length of stay and then they have some financial information uh, Your current gender a uh, gender identification. Do you prefer a roommate with the same gender identification? food allergies other allergies and some contact information. This is a fantastic resource, and I hope that people take advantage of this resource. It's a great way to find a roommate, cut down on the cost of attending a conference that many of us feel like we have to attend. So make sure to hop on there, check that out, and I'll tweet it out with this episode uh, so you can access it there. Now to Dr. Erin Kathleen Ball. She's an Assistant Professor of Applied and Professional Writing at Kennesaw State University. That's in Atlanta, Georgia. She graduated with her Ph.D. in English, Rhetoric, and Composition from The Ohio State University in May 2018, with focuses in digital media, composition, and folklore. She's a part of the Praxis and Topway Section Editor Collective for Kairos, a journal of rhetoric, technology, and pedagogy, as well as design editor for Computers and Composition Online. She publishes on web texts, comics, multimodal design, and folklore. I had the opportunity not to meet but to see Dr. Ball at Computers and Writing last year, and she was winning an award. Let's jump into our discussion to hear more from this award-winning scholar, Dr. Erin Kathleen Ball. I mentioned that you're in Kennesaw now, but that's not where you've been. You've only been there for about a year, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You started off your bachelor with your bachelor's degree from Creighton University, yes. and that's in Omaha, Nebraska. Are you from Omaha?
1: I am not. No, so I'm from uh, Minnesota originally, small town uh, called Pine City, uh, north of the Twin Cities, south of Duluth, up on I-35. Um, so yep. So grew up in Minnesota and then um, started my various meanderings when I started with um, my, my bachelor's at, at Creighton in Omaha.
0: What what led you to Creighton?
1: Oh, oh lots of things. Um, so, I mean, there's a recommendation just from uh, someone at my school who said, hey, I know you're interested in writing in English. This is a school with strong kind of writing across the curriculum going on. Um, but really, uh, it's a Jesuit school. Uh, Jesuit education was really, really important to me. I'm a huge fan of Gerard Manley Hopkins' poetry. So it's like, yes, this is going to be great. Um, yeah, and just a really phenomenal honors program there, too. So it's kind of like a living learning sort of a community, um, really great mentorship from advisors from multiple disciplines. So I felt just really lucky to have, just looking back on it now, kind of almost graduate level of advising at the undergrad level, just in the sense of really focused, one on one, devoted mentorship towards helping me develop kind of my research, scholarly projects, and such, and really like kind of strong sense of academic community. So, yeah, for me, really from, uh, formational in the sense of, yeah, academia is. Awesome, and there's some great people here, and this is really a good space to to be in.
0: So. Fantastic. Now, just knowing a little bit about you and some of the things that you're interested in, from comics mm-hmm. to religion and things like that, I wonder. I don't know a whole lot about what it means to have a Jesuit education because sure. you may be elaborate on that experience.
1: Yeah, so a lot of different kind of dimensions to that. Um, so again, Creighton is a Jesuit school, but in uh, serving student populations across kind of all different sort of uh, religious and spiritual backgrounds. So the things I liked, especially about it being a Jesuit education, really the focus on kind of being men and women for and with others was one of kind of their core values. So really, how do you be people of service and that whatever you're doing, whatever you're learning, how do you kind of bring it back to a community? And again, not just being for, but really with people, I guess, in that sense. So it's not always just like, here's me doing something for you, but how can I stand alongside you and and work with you sort of in that way? There's an emphasis on what they call magis, the more, so always seeking to do better, to be kind of greater in in some sort of way. So yeah, so in that sense, and just even the having the Jesuit community on campus was phenomenal. See, these are priests, but also professors and just some of the most brilliant and talented people in their fields that we knew. So just some of the top professors in theology there. We had a photographer for National Geographic with his whole photography studio in the basin. So again, just really grateful to kind of grow up in a place that had a very sort of strong spiritual kind of community to it, but really always, always, always intersecting with the strong intellectual foundations too of of the university.
0: Fascinating. I always find talking to people who experienced an education with a religious from a like a jesuit education or mm-hmm. i've talked to speak to people who've had a mennonite educational experience mm-hmm. and things like this and it's just not something that i'm familiar with so i i, I wonder then is this something that it has roots in your childhood or was this something that was new to you when you moved to omaha
1: Sure. So my uh, family's Catholic. I'm currently Catholic, grew up Catholic. So that's just, and that's, again, we'll talk maybe about the religion piece a little bit earlier, yeah. but that's kind of where some of that plays in. And specifically Jesuits, you know, my uh, my dad, my grandpa went up going to Jesuit retreats. Again, that's where I'll kind of point to my grandpa, especially as an influence. You know, I remember just getting poems from him from uh, about, you know, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who is this poet just doing really phenomenal things with like wordplay and imagery and stuff. And kind of what initially drew me to the the Jesuits. So again, kind of the roots were sort of there, but really got to explore it in depth for the first time at at Creighton that way. And again, just really loving what I'm seeing there is the integration between the intellectual and spiritual tradition that that the Jesuits can offer.
0: Fascinating. Very, very cool. And from Creighton, Mm -hmm. I know that you had an opportunity to study abroad Mm -hmm. in Germany I'm not going to butcher the name of the university (laughs) I'm going to redirect to you and let you say the name of it and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience
1: sure so I I still don't know how that happened that was again through (laughs) just the support and the mentorship that I had at Creighton just with various advisors helping me to get um so that that stay was funded it was kind of a self-designed study abroad program funded by the German academic exchange program. The day is, is the acronym for that. So I had a, a seven month undergraduate research fellowship to go and study, uh, in Germany. And so the first half of that was, um, a dramaturgy internship actually at, um, Staatsoper Hanover. So the state opera house, uh, in Hanover. So worked on, um, worked kind of behind the scenes with the dramaturgy department there, uh, working especially on, uh, Wagnerian opera projects there, working on, uh, Siegfried Goethe and really just so had a chance to work with a wonderful, wonderful mentor uh, named Ulrich Lenz, still in very close contact with him, actually just saw him in New York. Uh, they had a production going through uh, Lincoln Center there, so grateful to stay in contact with there. And that's where I will say a lot of my interest in digital media, multimedia really started up. So this idea of, you know, kind of Wagnerian and Gesamtkunstwerk, so, you know, knowing this had its own, plenty of its own political problems and such with that. But just this idea of total artwork and total kind of communicating through all kinds of media together. So and again, I've got a, a musical background too. So I, my parents are both music teachers. So I'm involved in singing, instruments, kind of throughout my life. So just this chance to be involved in this kind of total artwork in a way, especially focused on music, was really, really, really a phenomenal experience. So that was the first part of the the study abroad experience. Second part was at a uh, uh, university of Eichstätt in the uh, in near the Munich area. And so that was that was again kind of a bit more of a traditional university study, just taking a semester at the university, taking classes in German. I, t- I took, I don't, again, I still don't know how this happened. I took a master's level photography class in German at some point, and my pr- proudest moment was getting, giving a half hour presentation in German on these various uh, photographers, um, and I got an A in the class, and I still don't know how that happened entirely, but. Heck yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was, it was, I, was, I was pretty proud of myself, but Eichstätt was beautiful, just this little fairy tale kind of town, really, yeah, just very, very picturesque, you know, not too far from, uh, Ludwig's Castle, so Neuschwanstein. So I've done plenty of trips to Neuschwanstein there. But yeah, just a really beautiful little place to study. And then really excited just to have a chance to kind of live outside of an English speaking context and just to operate on, in a daily basis in just in a, a language that wasn't my first language. So I really grew a lot from that experience.
0: One of the connections I feel like I'm making here is between your Jesuit education and this with the people, not for the people, Mm -hmm. and the idea between total artwork, artwork, Mm -hmm. which is completely new to me. But Mm -hmm. based on what you're saying, I'm thinking there might be some thematic connections there.
1: Sure. And I will maybe make that bridge via folklore, which is kind of one of my areas of study that I got into Mm -hmm. in my graduate program. So this idea of uh, again you know studying kind of people where they're at in their kind of daily life and everyday sort of lived circumstances again not, not always recognizing that whenever you're coming to a new group of people you have something to learn you have something hopefully something to offer but also something to learn from them in the process and really just focus too on you know the the aesthetic elements of daily life and kind of daily lived experience how do we think about this kind of Total cultural system in which we live, and all these various different ways that we make meaning in, in aesthetic kind of ways, and how we live. So again, very which connects again eventually to to writing, I think, in some way, but very much through a multimodal composition and how do we yeah make meaning through multiple uh, multiple meaning making channels in our everyday life.
0: Okay, well, you mentioned graduate work and I know mm-hmm. that you moved from from Creighton so you're doing this triangular thing I see from <laughs> Minnesota mm-hmm. down to Creighton and then back east to uh to uh, the excuse me the ohio state university uh, just for our listeners aaron ducked her head and just kind of sh- sh- put her <laughs> hand over her face but an excellent education for sure and you mm-hmm. got your master's degree there uh and you did your dis- uh, your your phd there maybe we could do a quick pit stop on your master's degree and really focus on your dissertation project.
1: Sure. So, again, the two blended into each other. So, I went into a combined MA-PhD program. So, really, it was just kind of one total program there and kind of how I'm, how I'm thinking about it. Um, so,
0: fascinating. I've actually not talked to someone who oh. had went into a joint program like that. Yeah, yeah. So, was that something you were looking for? Was that something that happened and or could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Very much looking for that kind of a program. So again, so I went um, straight from bachelor's into master's study, and you know, it's like, well, if I can get to a place where I don't have to reapply again for another program after two years, would be great. Some place to kind of have an extended sort of stay, you know, get some kind of intellectual roots going, really get invested um, in a community, and just the funding and support received through an M.A. Ph.D. program was phenomenal. I mean, was able to you know receive full funding for for, be able to kind of make that a sustainable way of, of living. And kind of continuing in academia then straight out of undergrad into the kind of kind of graduate study. So for me, it was, it, it made sense, it was a kind of a logical choice. I'm really grateful for the support received through that prog- the program, um, and especially just for the chance to, again, kind of get invested in an intellectual community and build that up then for six years throughout the length of the the, pro- the program. So. Yeah,
0: and that's and, and uh, your dissertation was titled Refracting Web Texts, mm-hmm. Intervention and Design in Composing Multimodal Scholarship.
1: Invention and Design.
0: Oh, what, did, what word did I say?
1: Oh, you said intervention, which is totally fine. Intervention. Which would <laughs> also be a super, super cool project. But it's like, if anyone asks me to speak to intervention, I don't know if I can do that. So, but you, I know, no, the,
0: <laughs> you know what I think it was, actually? The, mm-hmm. the, uh, Will Banks is on yeah. campus here that, right now. And this, the Computers and Writing CFP kept oh. saying interventions, yes. interventions.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: That or either I just misread it. <laughs>
1: yeah. no, it's all good. It is a, an important term, and I hope someone does that dissertation in the future.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. So let me re-say it. It's Refracting Web Texts, Invention and Design in Composing Multimodal Scholarship. Yes. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that your dissertation was awarded the Hugh Burns Award. Uh, at Computers and Writing. Uh, I was in the room. I actually saw you receive that award, oh, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank that. you. Sorry, we sure. didn't to
1: connect earlier on
0: that, so thank you. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, for sure. So, tell us, for those that weren't in the room, right, tell us a little bit about that, that dissertation, and feel free to elaborate on content, any mm-hmm. context that we need, and also just the process.
1: Sure. So the project was um, a born digital dissertation. um, So completed under the direction of uh, Dr. Jonathan Buell, Krista Teston, Dorothy Noyes, and uh, Susan Delagrange. So really glad to have very kind of interdisciplinary committee in in a way. So people with technical communication, visual rhetoric and design, folklore all involved in in advising this project. So the project itself was looking at um, the process of composing, uh, creating born digital scholarship, web tech scholarship, and what does, that look, what does that look like at the beginning when you have sort of a first idea for a project? What does that look like at the end? How does the project change along that way? And what are the things that kind of make, the, make it shift? What are the forces that, you know, for whatever reason, my design took a different direction and coming especially with Cheryl Ball's argument here that um, design and argument are very, very inter, always intertwined. So in that sense, if the design is shifting, the argument is shifting and what's really influencing that process. So I looked especially at influences of people who kind of shaped the sort of process of making Born Digital Scholarship, Um, looked at uh, the tools and technologies we're using, metaphors and such, and really was taking uh, autoethnographic methodology then. So really taking, so I did about a 10-month study on my own web text composing work. So really just in-depth recordings of my own kind of composing process there, screenshots, video recordings, notes, drafts at every single stage. So really just uh, built up a, a, a very, I said, say a very narrow, but deep, I guess, kind of body of scholarship there in some way just to look at, to kind of trace some of these processes across time. And then, yeah, and then from there also did some uh, interview work with other people composing web tech scholarship too, drawing on like published uh, narratives of these stories, um, interviews, just to kind of at least triangulate my process a little bit more with what other people are doing in the field. So, yeah, so that was kind of the data collection argument process there um but then making it into I was so lucky to work with a committee that let me do a born digital dissertation um there is precedent for that set already fortunately uh, at Ohio State uh, Melanie Yergo um in the English department had already done a born digital dissertation i think several people ahead of me in the program had as well so just uh, <laughs> wrote it. so i i have no i have no idea how many words i wrote i honestly have no idea of the word count on it but were a lot of pages of HTML, CSS, JavaScript, audio files, image files, all kinds of things to kind of make this project happen. So ultimately, what I the reason it had to be digital was, you know, here is the work that I'm studying. How can I build like an interactive home where that can actually live? People can engage with that work with that rather than doing a solely written argument about an ultimately very kind of rich multimodal sort of data set. So, and that was important for me just to be able to have that kind of making process involved. Just it's so important to just the way I approach academia to kind of my own intellectual work is that making always has to be super, super connected to the research. And that's kind of how I'm most productive and how I kind of want to contribute to the field and also reflected the work that I was actually collecting um, and trying to to perform in both the study in that way. So, yeah, so it was a it was a big project for sure. But super honored to receive the award for that, especially just knowing the mentorship I've received from Computers and Composition Journal from uh, Chris Blair. Uh, and just uh, the people involved there Um, and just also knowing the people who have won this award in the past uh, since my heroes in the field represented there so really very very honored to receive this award
0: absolutely so you have a born digital dissertation what are the constraints and affordances and constraints of that I mean certainly that's a loaded question and I know that but you might pick a couple of bullet points what are the things why did you do it yes and then what did you run into
1: Sure. So I actually just spoke on this. Um, so I did a talk at uh, Emory University. They had an open humanities uh, graduate student workshop. So speaking to them, especially for students thinking about doing digital dissertations, what are the advantages of that? What are some of the challenges associated with that as well? So some of the advantages, again, this chance to kind of dissertations are hard and intimidating as it is. Like however however right. you do this process, it's a big project. So just the chance to kind of have the making parts of it felt more accessible kind of in some ways. That's like, all right, so I'm having maybe some trouble writing this chapter, but here I can work and kind of tinker with this section a little bit. I'm still making progress on the project, but just moving between kind of different media, different ways of thinking, you know, if I kind of need a break from from one or the other. So that was, that helped a lot. Some challenges for sure, Uh, I will say the the benefits was I was working with the university system that had already seen projects like this, um, that knew how to kind of account for them and various sort of approval infrastructures. So the repository on the other end was ready to accept it and to upload it and to work with me to make that happen. But that was a challenge, definitely. It came time to upload the whole thing into the university repository system. And I had like, what, a five, six gigabyte file. And the system just kept timing out. And it's like, you must have this uploaded by a certain day in order to graduate. It's like, I'm not going to graduate, no. Oh, um, no. It worked out fine. The library system, the university system was wonderful with that. They worked with me. We got it in. But it did just kind of take some just some changes with what I w- went, you know, just a, a bit of a change to that kind of working process there also just how do you share these kind of files with your committee so fortunately university provided some server space i was able to get my projects up and going there but it was the kind of a thing that until everyone saw how it fit together at the end with the with the design that it really made the kind of drafting process more challenging because it's like I, i'm going to show you just give me a, give me a second i got to kind of make the make the design part and actually kind of show you what, the, what this looks like altogether. together. So there's a lot of trust on the part of my committee members of, all right, we don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but we're at least kind of working, working through this process. Um, I will say a challenge with it, too, can be involved time-wise. I was very fortunate to have fellowship support through um, several stages of the dissertation process. So that gave me the time and the support I needed. So I had a university distinguished fellowship. I had the support of the Cartell Fellowship through the OSU English Department. So that gave me the time I needed to make it into a boring digital project. I will say it's if I any additional time constraints on top of that would have been a very, very challenging kind of process. So that's definitely something people want to consider, too, is it, a good a good dissertation is a done dissertation. And yay for digital projects. But get, get your project done first, whatever it needs to look
0: like. Yeah. So, good advice. Good yeah. advice. So I'll, the first thing I wrote down when you said that your dissertation was born digital was ProQuest.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, no. So it's, again, all, so I coded the HTML files from scratch. Um, for, so, I mean, it's, it, there is a link, to. it's under embargo right now because I'm working on turning it into a book project at the moment. Um, but yeah, so digital in the sense of it really can only live in a, a web kind of a format. Like I okay. can print off chapters if needed, but yep, I wrote the HTML, wrote the CSS, uh, didn't write the JavaScript. I pulled JavaScript that someone else had written, but I was able to pull that in at least. And yeah, just built, built the interface from the ground up. And yeah, it was, I feel like fun is a challenging word to use when writing a dissertation, but it was a really, it was a really rewarding, really satisfying experience, ultimately. I can say that now because I'm a year out and I've had some kind of chance to step back. (laughs)
0: <laughs> absolutely well it feels good for someone who's about to go through the process sure, the, the yeah. satisfaction, satisfaction is there so your focus at, at um, Ohio State is, is rhetoric composition and literacy but let's be clear Erin Ball is an interdisciplinary scholar <laughs> right <laughs> with interests in folklore and that was uh, a part of her interdisciplinary specialization Erin I will admit I'm not up on my folklore scholarship. I'm really not up up on folklore at all. so maybe you could um, talk a bit about your interest there, how you turned that into your interdisciplinary specialization, and then of course going back to that question earlier about with people and total artwork
1: yeah. Definitely. Okay. So I will. So I'm just getting back from the American Folklore Society conference in okay. Baltimore. It's Had a big uh, conversation. Stuff How there. was that? Oh, it was great. Just really yeah. great people, great presentations. So really, I think one of the main things I would want to say is that I see a lot of connections between work going on in folklore and between sort of digital media studies. Um, and so just, again, the idea of folklore's commitment to working with people to you know, being as kind of attentive to people as they are. Maybe we take a little bit different disciplinary language, different methodologies and such, but I see especially connections to like digital literacy studies or any kind of literacy studies that really is looking at how do people make texts, make meaning of any kind in their, in their daily life? And especially in ways you know, that how do you use that then towards advocacy, towards making people's lives better in some kind of way. Um, And that was a piece I wrote on with um, Jason and uh, Jolly for um, the Sweetland Digital Rhetoric Center, how do we think about doing more dialogue between folklore and uh, digital rhetoric, digital media, rhetoric and composition, literacy studies, that kind of a thing. Um, But folklore is especially, again, whole, whole, it's it's a huge, huge field and it covers a lot of different things. But again, looking at just kind of expressive culture in everyday life. So whether that's verbal expressive culture, just, um, you know, puns, proverbs, uh, various kind of like phrases out there thrown around, um, stories that we share, stories that are passed on in some way, uh, material culture, you know, just food ways, things like that. How do people build stuff, make stuff, create clothing, performative kind of practices. So I, I'm interested, especially in fairy tales. Uh, and so I, I think that's kind of again, one of the things that initially drew me to Ohio State was kind of the folklore narrative sort of uh, interdisciplinary strengths that they had there. So, you know, I do some kind of creative work with adapting fairy tales. But again, fol- folklore is always going to be concerned with, first off, how are things passed along as text? You know, what's the sort of tradition of passing on a text practice, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then also with variation, how does that change to it? um So like when you pass things along, how do they change along the way? Uh, and I think honestly, just think, looking back even at my dissertation at, you know, these multimodal scholarly pieces, how they change, both, you know, both continue and change. I think that was influencing a lot of some of my my interest kind of there. Um, but yeah, that's folklore in a nutshell, um, just for uh, just for kind of a brief, a bit of a brief summary there. I'm really encouraging, really would love to see more dialogue between people in digital rhetoric, digital media and folklore sort of studies. That's, I think, one of the areas I really want to be working towards in the future is kind of bringing some of these areas together.
0: Well, you mentioned Jason and Jay Lee, and you're working with them on something for Four Cs, I believe, in Milwaukee.
1: Yeah. So they they were had they supported this wonderful blog carnival on um, multimodal design, uh, social advocacy, and uh, really connecting a lot of uh, bringing in a lot of different people to speak and write, to write on uh, on that topic. So my topic was especially looking at uh, folklore, the work going on in folklore with um, design and such, and multimodal design advocacy, and how can we kind of connect some areas there. Just looking at ways in folklore, especially that people have created these really cool, really interesting digital projects that represent communities that speak to kind of their lives in ways that, you know, working with them and kind of, especially as a designer working with the community and bringing those design resources and putting them kind of at the disposal of that community. And how do you create something new, get their ideas out, get their message out in a way that they couldn't necessarily do or wouldn't even be interested necessarily in doing just on their own. So Mm -hmm. seeing that as, one way we could kind of move forward to some of these conversations.
0: I'm going to have to make sure to stop into that presentation at 4Cs yeah. for sure.
1: For sure. Uh, I, I, mean, we will, I, will, I will be probably presenting in absentia because I'm having a baby in the spring. Um, oh, fantastic.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. But they were, yeah, they were very gracious. And I'm still going to, they were, so it's going to be, I think it's going to be a phenomenal panel and I really encourage people to check it out. I will just probably be presenting via via video then in that case.
0: Well, that's still exciting. All of my interactions then with you will be via video.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll meet up in person eventually. We will make this One day.
0: (laughs) Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the work you've got out there right now and some upcoming work. One recent publication from Computers and Composition Digital Press, woo, woo, open, access, open um, access, yes, is uh, Religion Remediated, Religious Multiliteracies and the Digital Archive of Literacy Narratives. I'm sure a lot of people are out there. Uh, listeners are familiar with the DALN. Uh, I know I am. I'd love to hear a little bit more about this project as we kind of come full circle in our chat and, and go back to talking about religion.
1: Yeah, for sure. So religion, again, just uh, is an important part of my life, but important part of many different people's lives. Sure. But students' lives in, in many ways, shapes, and forms. Right. Um, and so, just again, knowing that the field is really doing these investigations into so many different kind of facets of identity. How can we think about religious identity as one of these multiple facets of who we are as people and all of the with all of our various various kind of facets of identity that we carry with us? So, again, how do we address that too in classroom context? How do we build space? For having those conversations, you know, in ways that's, you know, still separate, like again, that are appropriate to kind of classroom discussion, but also take this, don't, don't, but don't make people leave the part of, like an important part of their identity at the door. So, you know, again, recognizing it can be really, really challenging territory to work with, but also I think really important to consider moving forward. And so that's where, um, especially with the folklore kind of background, with a vernacular religion, sort of an approach to folklore, uh, drawing off the work of Leonard premiano there especially, um, how do we think about rather than coming at it from sort of an institutional approach to religion in the sense of here is what XYZ religion says is right, wrong, good, bad. Here is sort of the, the kind of dogmatic beliefs of a particular religious tradition, approaching it instead from where are people at from the ground up. So what's from a vernacular religion standpoint, how is this religious tradition practiced and lived in a particular person's everyday life and experience? Um, and how do they make sense of that? And how does that um, sort of work with how do they How's that kind of part of their total meaning making kind of practices? So, again, not saying that the dogmatic and theological parts are not important, but just in terms of how do we at least enter the discussion, starting from kind of a a bit more of a personal level there. And that's where the DALN is an extremely, extremely useful resource, just really very grateful to have that that resource out there. But just there are stories in there of uh, literacy in various kind of ways. And some of the uh, literacies mentioned are religious literacies, or at least people talk about the way that religion informs their approach of literacy, of communication. So really, rather than, you know, making students share their own stories, like, you know, you never want to put people on the spot, obviously, with something kind of like this, but how do we still engage these very deeply grounded personal narratives of religious literacies using the resources already available to us in the digital archive of literacy narratives? Um, How do we work with them? How do we engage them? And that's especially where the multimedia part comes in. So how do we get outside language? And how do we get into other channels of engaging these and thinking about, remediating someone else's text um, and just to say, all right, here's what I'm understanding of it. How would I represent this? Just to kind of show like a very deep kind of listening to show how would I take the story adapt it into another channel that still represents it kind of as holistically as possible. So kind of it's really a listening sort of like a multimodal listening exercise, I guess, in, in some way.
0: I know that the Archivist Classroom has had a, a pretty successful reception from the yeah. film. yeah. They, uh, Katie, well,
1: yeah, Katie, Ben, and Michael are just doing phenomenal, phenomenal work, and really glad glad to be part of the collection, and glad just for the the recognition that they've been able to receive with that. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. I'm so glad that that was a great experience for mm. you, and you've got another article coming up uh, in TCQ Technical Communication Quarterly.
1: Yeah, I got a special issue coming out a on special- comics. To say comics and graphic storytelling in uh, technical communication. So, uh, I mean, am one of the co-editors on that with uh, Sergio Figueredo and Rich Schevener. So two really phenomenal colleagues. Uh, Serge is at KSU. Um, Rich is up at uh, University of York. It York? Yeah, it's uh, York, yeah, York up in Canada. And but we met, uh, we both, uh, Rich and I met during graduate school kind of phases. So, yeah, really two. So that's, that's another kind of area that I want to intervene and work in the field that I haven't maybe addressed too much yet is but this idea of kind of comics, digital oh. rhetoric, uh, technical communication. how can we especially bring comics into some of these conversations? Um, and really grateful to be working with Serge and Rich on that. They're both doing phenomenal work in comics.
0: Mm. So how did that project come about? how what's the genesis of that of that special issue?
1: Sure. So uh, Rich and I, have been on, um, a of uh, and I have been working on a couple of comics based pieces. Serge and I have been working on a couple comics based pieces and such. So sort of wrote and let's, okay, here, here is this we you know there's a call for special issues on technical communication quarterly. And really, we want to see, you know, what are what are some ways that we can think about building comics? Or invite people to kind of write a little bit more about comics and technical communication. So I think there's been increasing attention to, you know, aesthetic elements of technical communication, maybe especially sort of in game studies and such. But really the last special issue for visual rhetoric for TCQ wasn't was still probably about 20 years ago or so. So how can we think about addressing some of these ways that comics are you know, increasingly making their way into rhetoric and composition kind of studies in different sorts of fields and really invite this com- to see these people who are already doing some phenomenal work in comics and technical communication, bring them together into a special issue and really get some of those kind of conversations going. So, yeah, really excited just with some of the contributions we've received so far, really addressing kind of a range a range of dimensions of comics and technical communication and really excited for people to read the read this one once it's out.
0: Is this a first type of issue, sort of like this, that TCQ is, is doing, one devoted toward comics, or is there? Um, and I feel like there's a burgeoning interest in the field, but is it, where does it come from? I suppose.
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so no, so there's no, there's been very. So I mean, Journal of Multimodal Rhetorics just did a special issue right. uh, on comics and as multimodal rhetoric. Um, let's see, Composition Studies Journal uh, did one recently on. Uh, stayed within the last uh, five, 10 years or so on comics and composition. So really there's been, I would say maybe technical communication has, well, no, there's, there's been people definitely addressed. This is not to say that this has never been addressed before, right. um, but right. again, trying to foreground and bring that together. I think for um, TCQ, this is maybe a bit of a new kind of a topic and different in a way that hasn't maybe been addressed in the same kind of way, at least for, 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 this, for, for the work that they're doing there. Um, And so really, especially, uh, we received a lot of support from Rebecca Walton, who is the uh, editor right now at TCQ. So she was really excited about this special issue and really grateful for grateful to her for the chance to kind of get this going. So I think uh, I think this is going to be one of her first special issues as editor for the journal. And so really um, excited to kind of kick off the conversation under her leadership there.
0: That's So cool. You know, when I think about comics and I mentioned this before, I I, I'm not a gamer and I don't (laughs) read a lot of comics. Like those are the two things. And I consider myself kind of like a nerd. But those are the two things (laughs) in my nerd culture that I just didn't get for some reason. So I'm wondering, like the connections I make. Are To visual rhetoric, right? So it's interesting to see different fields or different journals that aren't necessarily devoted to visual rhetorical studies taking up the call to, to do work with comics and things like that and video games. Now, video games is something you do a little work with video games as well.
1: Yeah, just starting to head in that direction a little bit, okay. I will say. So I had the chance to work with uh, two colleagues at Kennesaw, again, Sergio Figueredo, uh, Jeff Green, and we did a piece for a special issue on films in the feminist classroom where they're looking especially at pedagogies of play. Um, so we were looking at uh, game design documents and workplace writing settings. So yeah, so that's that's kind of an area where I'm responding to what I'm seeing sort of for, so again, my work is in web text, so looking at these kind of multimodal uh, pieces of communication. But for a student, my students are not necessarily interested in web text, or at least in the same kind of way in terms of developing pieces of scholarship. So what I'm working with that is trying to respond to what I'm seeing my students interested in, you know, and how can I sort of use my expertise with web text to kind of think about how do we adapt that then to games, to comics, to these kind of multimodal forms of popular kind of culture that um, I'm super interested in from both a research and a personal kind of perspective, but also that speak to kind of some of their professional interests and to ways that they, are maybe looking to implement web text slash kind of multimodal design in their own kind of work and practice. So, yeah, so I had a chance to work with um, Serge and Jeff on that, uh, the um, game design document piece. And then now trying that out for the first time in my workplace writing classroom uh, this fall. So that's, we are, you know, we will, we will see how that goes. You just started that assignment sequence now um, and we are hoping to do some research with that and to see what they produce and what they think about it. So I'm, I'm really
0: excited for that. You'll have to keep us updated on that, on that project. That sounds really cool for sure. Is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet that we can work into the conversation in any way? Uh, I, I covered the, the questions that I sent you.
1: For sure. You think you said a wonderful list of questions. So really, I'm really grateful for that there. Yeah. yeah. Just a couple, a couple of other things to mention. I, I feel like I, I have, a, the field is such a wonderful and rich place for kind of rhetoric right. and composition certain studies. And there are, Really grateful for the chance to do collaborative work with so many different people just to say, all right, here's, you know, projects that I could never entirely do on my own that I can, but I can connect with someone else. I'm um, going to just say, here's your expertise. Here's mine. Let's see what we can kind of make together out of that. So that's, so that's So I guess if my projects seem a little bit interdisciplinary and scattered in some ways, just because there's, I'm kind of saying like, you know, who can I? who can I work with and what can we kind of create together in new ways and I think that's I look at that as kind of one of the strengths of the field rather than necessarily any kind of weaknesses there.
0: Uh, oh I could not agree more like I just want to wear a t-shirt to conferences or a shirt that's just like want to collaborate. Like, <laughs> I,
2: know, like, <laughs> I know
1: right I, at risk of pay, I, I love doing collaborative projects and such I love working with people and just writing with people again I think that's one of the things I love most about academia is just being in a space where we're all writing working teaching together and how do we support each other and, and that process. So, yeah, I guess a couple of other things just to mention um, that are really important to me, uh, digital editing and publishing. Uh, So, web text, especially. Um, So, yeah, just really figuring out, you know, how as an editor can I um, both create web text, but also help other people create web text and kind of mentor them through that process of getting their work out there into some of these journals. So, I'm a design editor for Computers and Composition Online. Um, And then I'm a new section editor for Kairos uh, Journal of Rhetoric Technology and Pedagogy. So, um, part of an uh, editorial collective there for the topo and praxis sections. So that's just within uh, the last year or so, I've kind of started up that position. So, yeah, really just glad to be, so excited to be part of kind of web text production in this editorial way and looking at it service to the field, but also to these people, pe- to people at, again, coming back to the dissertation on web text invention. How do you get started with a project like this? How do you develop it? How do you change it? And really, how do you provide encouragement to people in that process too? It can be a very long-term, these aren't, these are not quick projects. These are very long-term, potentially daunting projects. And how do you, you know, encourage people just, I've received so much mentorship and encouragement. Um, Cindy Self uh, was my advisor, uh, working with Cheryl Ball, Chris Blair, all these just really phenomenal mentor figures and editors, um, and really kind of trying to channel that and their example in, in passing on the support that I've received to, to
0: other people. So you so. like editing then? You like being a part of those teams?
1: You know, I do. I really, really do. And as so I'm teaching professional editing classes for the first time and my students are like, wow, Erin, you're really excited about editing. It's like, you know what? I, am. I really, really am. And especially like the developmental kind of a side, like the conceptual sort of a side where you're really working with the author and asking them some of these kind of key questions about that shape a project in fundamental ways. It's like, you know what? This is fun. This is cool. I really, I feel like I'm helping people and I feel like you know, again, I'm just learning so much from them in that in that kind of process, too. So, yes. So, editing, especially these kind of crazy digital projects, it's like, all right, we have no idea how we're going to make this, but let's make it happen. I, I, I like that kind of work a lot.
0: You heard it here first, listeners, grad students especially. Editorial work is fun. <laughs>
1: it really really is and it's so communal like i mean just especially like being part of these editorial teams like you're working with just some of the like the, the really just top people in the field just learning so much from them and the like, editing alongside of them and doing review work it's like man this i just being part of these editorial teams is, is phenomenal
0: that's awesome yeah. well Aaron, I'm gonna let you off here now and go enjoy the uh weather down in Kennesaw is it is it nice down there still it's not no. turned yet it's rainy
1: it's, it's rainy as all gets out oh, today no. Oh <laughs> well, the, the, trees, the trees are starting to turn and it's gonna I'd say in another couple of days or so it's really just gonna be gonna be gorgeous
0: fantastic well it was great talking to you I hope you enjoy the weather and have a great day
1: thank you so much Philippe. A pleasure to speak with you.
0: all right rhetorical listeners that does it for this week on the big rhetorical podcast i want to thank dr ball for joining us for reaching out to us and being a part of this space until next week be kind to one another and always be listening rhetorically
2: would you like to join charles on the podcast the big rhetorical podcast emerging scholar series is a unique series of podcast episodes specifically designed to highlight the life and career work of graduate students and other academics who enjoy discussing the development of their scholarship, their pedagogy, and their service to the fields and disciplines of rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication. The Big Rhetorical Podcast, Emerging Scholar Series, offers participants the opportunity to contribute to ongoing conversations within our disciplines and beyond. This record of conversations eventually will be a vast catalog of dialogues, a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge making in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication, as well as adjacent fields. Moreover, our Emerging Scholar series serves as a glimpse into the variety of positionalities and personalities currently working in and defining these areas, as well as a way to track specific disciplinary themes as they manifest throughout time. For scholars and practitioners, the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Series offers the opportunity to gauge the future of rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication by learning more about the research of graduate students and less seasoned scholars. The Big Rhetorical Podcast core ideals are similar to the community-based writing project with an emphasis on inclusivity, in localizing knowledge, and strengthening relationships among peers. As we embark upon the newest season of the Big Rhetorical Podcast, please feel free to check out older episodes and our newest episodes wherever you get podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor.fm. If you would like to be featured on an episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Series, or if you have any questions about the Big Rhetorical Podcast, please submit a form at our website www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. You can also find the Big Rhetorical Podcast on Twitter at TheBigRep. Follow the podcast on Facebook email us at thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon.